This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. If you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Now, more people probably definitely don't know you as Nick. You know, what is your handle like that you go by on Instagram? Uh, the dark side of the spoon, dark side spoon. Now, <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a great name. Now, are you on just Instagram? Or are you Facebook too? Or I used to have a Facebook and I had 100,000 followers and then I got zucked. So like, I want to start a new one, but I just, it's yeah. like, if I start it from scratch, it's just going to be so painful to see where it was. And so I keep procrastinating, Yeah, but, I, but it's going to happen. Yeah, that It'll makes happen. sense. Yeah, I mean, and even Instagram has gotten better with their rules lately, like allowing certain things that they would take down a year ago by having people check off in advance that they want to see content like that. You know, that's oh, something that, that I've noticed. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, I learned, you know, I want to just keep keep it private just because it's, it's helped with a lot of that. But even then, man, you never know. Um, and I, I'm, I'm very cautious. But sometimes I'll post something and then it'll it'll get flagged for for something you wouldn't even think, and yeah. then you'll you know. So it's and sometimes like, it'll be something stupid like in the description and not even in the picture, you know. Like yeah, or, yeah if somebody you know somebody's mouthing off in the comments or something and offends someone, I yeah. just I don't I don't know, man. It's and, just, and that happens real fast, especially with a bigger account like yours, where like you get busy, you have a job, and then all of a sudden you look back at your phone and you're like, "Oh, I didn't even know that was happening in the last hour," you know? Yeah. So, right. and when did you start making these like recovery memes? How long have you been in recovery, and when did you start making them? Yeah, man, my clean date is September seventh, twenty fifteen, and so this September I celebrated six years, man. That's amazing. It, you know, <laughs> every year you get more and more. That's, you know, that's awesome. And I, and I, I can tell you like you work a program just by your memes. I can tell you understand what the programs are well, just by your memes. Well, thanks, man. I mean, one, one thing that I try to get the point across is um, like the behaviors and everything we do in active addiction is not only insane, but it's just like, horrible like we are horrible people when we're using yeah some people are even horrible people clean you know yeah um, but common denominator is like you got to get clean to give yourself a chance but just there's nothing there was nothing at the end of my using appealing about anything attached to the lifestyle um yeah. but i've been there you know uh and so you know i, I posted this meme um 
where it was like a guy throwing up and then he was like he's dope sick and then it was her throwing up and he he had a sign saying she's pregnant um and and the the person who was in the photo reached out to me and was like hey uh what's up with your page like can you take my your it down because i don't really understand apparently they had a family member who follows my page who was like aunt look this guy remixed like your photo and she looked at it and she said like this is do you guys advocate drugs use or something and i was like no so an outsider saw that and their opinion was like and she was like no i'm looking through the post it does look like you're you know not advocating drug use and anybody who's using drugs i fe- i hope that if they're looking at it they can tell that it's not like a pro using yeah. drug and and for but, what it's worth man i was looking through my phone last night you know i couldn't sleep i got like crazy insomnia and I was looking at my phone last night at my early recovery pictures. You know, I started my recovery journey three and a half years ago out in L.A. I went all the way to L.A. to get sober. And um, so, you know, memes are being shared like crazy. It's just, and I I never even looked at any of these kind of memes when I was in addiction. You know, I set, I spent 10 years in active addiction and a ton of that on my phone. You know, I always joke around like old timers don't understand what it's like to stare at your phone all day waiting for someone to call you back. You know what I mean? Like the old timers run around for cell phones and their addiction. You know, they have right. cell phones now, but they don't understand that. Like when you're staring at your phone, waiting for it to ring or get a text saying, come through or I'm good. Yeah. And um, so I was um, looking through old shit last night and I was looking through a bunch of memes. And I realized that all the memes that I had saved from were from the first three months. And they were so like important to me because besides being in the rooms, that's where I was seeing shit without having to go somewhere to see something, if that makes sense. I could hear a message without having to go to a meeting or anything like that to hear a message, you know? So I loved those kind of memes early on. <clears throat> I was actually looking, I was hoping I found one of yours. I was hoping that I had screenshot one of yours three years ago, but I didn't. <laughs> I looked through and I was looking I through watermarks. I didn't, I probably didn't have my own. I mean, maybe my watermark, maybe a meme I made my old watermark was nab um but okay i was making these but i didn't have like a a page or anything but yeah you made a good point um people sometimes are like they they think i'm like an active addiction um but based on like the way i can sum up the the behaviors and the thinking of active addiction but it's like you know it's going to be a lifelong thing and you made a good point of like you know, when I was using, like, the last thing I was doing was, was going to be on social media. Um, also, I had, like, a cracked cricket phone, you know, with a cracked screen. A no new phone data. number every week. <laughs> yeah, a new number, uh, you know, uh, a cracked screen and no data. Do you think I'd be fucking wasting my data? On, I wasn't like, going on any social medias, dude. The only, the only social media I would go on is, like, Tinder just because I was so lonely. You know, besides right. that, I wasn't going on Instagram and all that stuff when I was in the thick of my addiction. I didn't need to see anybody be happy because I was miserable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't have experience uh, with Tinder. I would just go to rehab. <laughs> you know? you see, I, or- I only wanted to do a one and done with rehab. So I was a one and done 31 years old. I did not want it like be in and out of rehabs i was asked to go so many times in my 20s everybody was asked i was getting arrested all the time the the whole nine you know and i kept saying no i'm not ready 
I would, and I would give examples to my parents. My parents are normies. And I would tell them, look at blah, 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 and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. They're all relapsed. They all went to rehabs multiple times because they weren't ready. I will go when I'm ready. Let me try this on my own. And if it doesn't work, I will let you know when I'm ready for help because by then I will be ready and it will work. And it wasn't, you know, talked about. We, they knew, you know, they would yell at me sometimes, you know, if they saw me high. But like 31, almost 32, I was finally like, all right, now I'm ready. And I think yeah. that's why it worked a lot better. Yeah, you, you probably, you probably bought a couple months with that argument. Yeah, you know, I definitely like, did. I mean, you know, through the stages of change, what, what, uh, what stage were you in? Would you think pre-contemplation, contemplation? I wasn't what, ready. What, no, no, okay. This conversation, this conversation happened, I can tell you, in 2013 in June, and it was right after I got arrested for theft. I was house-sitting for my old manager, and I was on a lot of Xanax. Xanax makes me steal, so I stole a bunch of his wife's jewelry, pawned it, and I got arrested at my house for it. Don't even remember doing any of it, you know what I mean? So I got, you know, I was in my parents' basement at the time, you know, and this is like, (laughs) you know, unfinished unfinished basement you know the whole nine yards and um they're like you're just gonna sweat it out what yeah share that shit in the mom's basement yeah well this time i was 27 and um but still Uh, no way we we like to round shit up so you're basically 30 in mom's basement it's all right and i moved out at 19 too and here i am back at 27 and, you know, so they're like, all right, you're not going to go to rehab, then you're not leaving our basement until you're better. And I said, okay, fine. You know, one of those things. And then I was like, hey, my head, I'm like, well, I've had a doctor's appointment in two days that I'm not missing. You know, it was, I was doctor shopping in 2013 and I didn't have a car and my mom was home all day long. So I snuck out of the basement. I had my dude that would, was getting majority of my script pick me up around the corner. He took me to my doctor's. Luckily, Walmart had him in stock, filled it. I was back within an hour and a half with, you know, 30 pills because I gave the other 90 to my dude that I owed him. But still, I was high again within two days with a brand new script and a brand new script of um, Xanax because that's what I was also re-upping on. It wasn't stopping me. So you you reset the time. What did that (laughs) basement smell like? Um, The washer. (laughs) <laughs> my mom was running clothes all day long my sister was in high school my mom was constantly running that washer and dryer down there it was concrete floor mildew mildew you know what i mean like i, I was born in that was in south jersey two miles from camden that was where i grew up like that's you know you and i met through brian brian's not far from where i grew up and it was all just coincidence like i met him through tiktok and He's like, oh shit! Like I was, he's like, he's bringing an Eagles hat. I wonder if he's from my area. And sure as shit, he's like five miles away from me. So mm-hmm. like, it's so funny. Like actually, my studio is named after my best friend who passed from a car accident, and they were in the same grade together in the same high school for one year. That wild, like small world, dude. So, well, yeah, synchronicity is, um, you know, part of part of my that's higher program is. yeah man that's what the program and that's what happens when you reach out and you and you're connecting with people like in recovery and active in your recovery and living your recovery out loud you know what i mean the people that are willing to put themselves out there and be like this was my story this is who i am and this is what i do you know because i find I, I understand people that can't do that because they chose career paths where they can't be like i'm I'm whatever, I'm an addiction or I'm, I'm sober, I'm clean and blah, blah, blah. 
and they have a lot of shame and guilt with that because like maybe they work in an office setting where everybody goes out and they can never feel like they can go yeah man you no, know I, well, I that's definitely true and then i've seen it on the flip side where there's dopeless hope fiends ruining the treatment industry just ruining the rooms coming in there fucking with their vape and their fucking shirt that says fuck heroin on it and then they relapse within three months and they like god forbid they scoop up some newcomer girl to go with them because like one thing that phenomenon is is really interesting to me because like we're so broken when we come in that you know it's easy to just be like to to be become anything you know like um just to your whole personality changes and it's like it's it's sure it's better than um you know you know trying lsd for the first time and then being like i'm gonna go on a tour and i'm just gonna go to every grateful dead show because that was a psychic change you talk to old old timers they like compare how many dead shows they went to Mm-hmm. and like they took lsd once they're fucking they, they moved to california you know and like or you get clean and you become a dopeless hope fiend yep and you i know? met some of those dudes that actually migrated yeah. to california in the 60s when i when I sober in la because the recovery in la is amazing yeah i i anywhere there's a lot of drugs and a history of drugs there's good recovery I and mean, why yeah. is that you know well uh because it's like like the yin and yang it's um you know the negative energy and then the you know the positive energy out of it you know the best um, na meeting and, or no best ca meeting i've ever been to was in compton it was yeah I, I went to one ca meeting one time and everybody talked about how they smoked crack and hid in their closet and called the police on themselves i related to it i've done <laughs> that but you know just like mm. People would be like cocaine. Oh, cocaine! Yeah, like everybody would just say it. Yeah, and it was by like, candlelight, so all you hear is the voices chiming in. You don't see any faces because it was like yeah. a Friday night meeting, and it was called Into the Fourth Dimension, and like the room was set up weird, and so you would just hear the like the voices and the chiming in all over the room, but no faces uh, to it. Oh, Neil! Oh <laughs> no! Look at yeah. that with that cocaine. Yeah, that's it. Was a uh, it was interesting, man. I'm not. I'm yeah. not knocking. Yeah, it would. I'm of Narcotics Anonymous, um, mm-hmm. and you know, always been. I can't talk about my problems pertaining to alcohol, but luckily here where I live, like it's a great, it's a great fellowship. You know, other parts of the country, you know, people tell me what it's like. Like if you want to buy Suboxone and Methadone spitbacks, you go to NA. That's crazy. You know, yeah. over, over here though, like I, I didn't have that experience. You know, growing up in the DMV outside of dc <clears throat> but you know yeah you know it's uh I'm the, trying point, to call- the point well, I, I think i need to make another point is like you know you're clean and you're discovering things you're you're look you're open-minded and you're checking out different fellowships as opposed to you know just checking out different plugs out of desperation yeah. it's kind of like the same desperation but it's like you're you're acting you're you're doing an action step of finding the solution as opposed to just getting well, you know? And so, you know, doing a podcast like this or, or doing anything creative, whether it's TikToks or anything that you're talented to do is, is proof of, of getting inspiration again, which is like an active addiction. We, we lost all hope and inspiration. There was, so, 
so you know i i've done a few um podcasts before but i you know people write books people anything's possible anything's yeah. possible and, and how, how how do you tell that to a newcomer like who just lost everything and has no hope and probably no dopamine some burn holes in their fucking nike shorts i can tell you, know? you what i do and that's i make myself vulnerable to that newcomer I show that newcomer how vulnerable I am and tell them where I came from so that they can feel comfortable opening up to me. It's like, you know, um, when I first opened this meeting center, um, it was July 4th and a guy came in 31 years old, a week out of rehab and for 15 year meth addiction, you know, since he was a teenager, just every day didn't work. He was a bit on disability since he was five. And has been doing meth every day for 15 years and went to rehab. So I get him fresh out of rehab and he sits down. He's like, I'm not sure what I'm doing here, but my girl won't you know, let me stay there unless I go to meetings. I don't like, you know, I don't know what I should do. And I'm like, well, how old are you? He's like, I'm 31. I said, I was 31 when I got sober, man. And I was like, what kind of program are you trying to run? He's like, I don't know, but I, you know, I have a medical marijuana card. I said, so do I. He said, do you really? And I said, yeah, I went to California. I went to a rehab called high sobriety. It taught me all about how to use cannabis as a medicine. And I was a drug and it completely changed my relationship with it. He's like, Oh, how much time do you have? I'm like, well, you know, I had some problems with drinking, but I haven't had you know opiates in three and a half years. He's like, Oh my God, I didn't know that was even possible that you could even do that. And I'm like, yeah, like I'm proof of that. Like, and I still haven't had a drink in over 20 months. He's like, holy shit, you know, and then now he's four months clean and sober. Most time he's ever had. We're going through the steps together. He's been a great sponsee. He just had his fifth kid. And it's the only one he was allowed to be around, really, because of all the other drugs before. So, you know, it's one of those things where I made it okay for him to open up. And then he was really quiet. So I kept just telling him more about me. Really, like, not embarrassing, but like dark things about me you know from my past and I'm okay with sharing but it just takes me a minute but when I did that he then started telling me where his trauma came from you know and opening up for the first time in his entire life where he's now able to make amends with people and look people in the eyes for the first time in over a decade and it's that vulnerability that I gave him by opening myself up first to let him know that it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay not to be okay so, like, that's how I handle it. What do you say to a newcomer that comes in that is completely lost and just lost everything? I mean, the the kind of like what you said, I mean, um, you know, say you're not alone. I've been there. It's, it's kind of hard to, because it's kind of hard to relate to a newcomer in the sense of, like, we're, we're, we're where we are now. But one thing, you know, I've seen go the wrong way is some people come into the rooms with such heavy baggage, such heavy, you know, mental illness. I know I certainly did. And, you know, to, to pretend to be somebody's, you know, I tell them I'm not your fucking banker. I'm not your therapist. I'm not your case manager. You know, some people are lifers in the system, man. You know, um, and, and the good news is this is completely your responsibility nobody's going to give a fuck nobody's going to care about i don't care what disney movies you saw growing up or like you know or or you know uh disney channel original movies the world is a horrible place but this is a pretty good place to get clean america 
Um, and it's all up to you, man. Yeah. That's what I say. And, uh, you know, I'm not your therapist. You, you know, I would recommend um, saying treating this like a, an experiment, staying clean for a long time so you can unveil the trauma. But, you know, like for, for me to wear a dopeless hope fiend shirt and a dopeless hope fiend hat, blow vape smoke in his mouth and be like, bro, tell me your trauma. Like, I'm not a fucking licensed clinician. You know, like I've seen it both ways, man. But I'll be a part of the network because, you know, the opposite of addiction is the isolation, yeah. um, you know, connection, which is, you know, what people pretty much crave, you know. So seeing that people um who you know they can relate to clean by just showing up being a good person it, the, the attraction to not promotion now marijuana medical marijuana like you know uh, i don't have any like opinion on that i just know that you know uh, marijuana um you know made makes me horribly anxious and and i i wouldn't treat it as 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 medicine personally yeah um and it affects everybody differently, you know, and that's the thing is anybody who's really ever smoked, you know, that it does things to different people too. You know what I mean? There's like, I was engaged to my childhood best friend and she was bipolar, schizophrenic and an alcoholic and she couldn't smoke because she would have, you know, episodes. It would trigger yeah. episodes if she did smoke yeah. because she yeah, already had an imbalance and it wasn't going to fix it. It was going to, you know, magnify it. People are so vulnerable when they come in a treatment or of course the rooms that, um, you know, it's like they have to find it for themselves and nobody's going to give a shit. Yeah. You know, my addiction is different than yours. Just like my recovery is, but the point is I'm living a life today that's beyond my wildest dreams still. Yeah. I mean, you know, if your quality of life is improving and, you know, uh, I mean, it, nobody, you know, there's, it's all up to, to me, like whatever I choose yeah. is not you or or anybody else and it's scary to be a newcomer and be told like this is all up to you man this isn't like yeah. gonna give a shit like unfortunately like if if somebody overdoses and dies which is happening left and right you're gonna just be a fucking facebook memorial page yeah and the people you didn't even fuck with are you gonna comment and be like oh that was my best friend and then they they had coffee with them one time and, you know, like, you're going to be looking down, like, dude, I didn't even fuck with this person, you know, like, like these, like, you want, you want to fuck around with fentanyl and shit. Okay. You're going to be a Facebook memorial post and no one's going to re remember, like, no one's going to give a shit. It's not going to make anybody do anything. Yeah. Uh, and for me, and for me, it's also reminding people, especially new about the unmanageability because everybody, when they first come into the rooms, they think because they're told from people who are normies, the first step's admitting it. It's not. It, they, they're really summarizing that first step a lot when they're saying the first step's admitting it. Because to me, that first step means everything after that semicolon about how my life became unmanageable, right? That unmanageability of what it does for us is when, it's a, when things are really a problem, too. Because, like, my life could be completely unmanageable because of a, a relationship. That's something I need to work on. You know, my life could be completely unmanageable because of my job. Oh, yeah. Recovery has nothing to do with the drugs. Or, yes. or and, 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 you know, we, we're fucked up people, man. We're sick. Yeah. We, we, whatever reason, 
whether it's nature, nurture, or what our, you know, what our uncle did to us, you know, or like our trauma, we're, we're here and it's our responsibility. Yeah. Like I said, you know, um, so for that creative outlet with making memes, what was it about it that was like, for you, that was like that, that kept you going and making memes all these years, like where people, you know, were you getting a good response where it was it? Well, yeah, initially, you know, I just wanted to be part of, right. I just like, you know, would make a meme and then get bullied and everybody was like, that shit sucks. Kill yourself. And, you know, and, 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 and it was like, damn, I'll, I'll do better, you know? Um, uh, and then like, you know, it, it was always about how it made me feel. Cause you know, I'm, I'm an addict, you know, if it didn't make me feel good, then I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. And so bonds though, is definitely, um, compounded the 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 progression into what it is now but yeah it's therapeutic man like a, most of the time i'm telling my story a lot of the times it's just kind of remixing um you're telling old, your story was that your thanksgiving was that your grandmom's thanksgiving that you told earlier yeah well, <laughs> that shit was right, right. <laughs> i wasn't grandma but that, that's all i'll say but like you know yeah. i'll you know 10 years ago on thanksgiving man um I'll, I'll tell a story of one of my like bottoms, man. Like I I remember, um, I was selling drugs and my mom and grandma were having Thanksgiving hosted and, uh, you know, they wouldn't let me around each other. Um, they wouldn't let me around the house, but you know, I, I told my mom, I'm, you know, I'm going to help. I'm going to clean. I'm going to help rake the leaves. And I worked hard for like a week or what I thought was, and and I went to Thanksgiving just totally trashed um, on, uh, you know, and also on speed, which I didn't really do much because I had to clean, rake the leaves, you know, um, and I got everybody's stupid little presents. Like I was completely in a psychosis and my mom ended up throwing me out. Um, and I remember crying out in the front of the yard with the hose and just hitting and, and I I. Sp- I took the hose and I I just started hitting the window while they were all eating. And then my friend picked me up and I just remember bawling, like just crying because I worked so hard to like impress or what I thought, you know, but, um, and, and I I wish I could tell more stories like that, but it's just so much involved in a, in a paragraph. So much in. Yeah. uh, And I don't, I don't, I don't even, you know, war stories are war stories. You know what I mean? And, they take a lot of out of a lot of people, you know, and I get that. And I don't have, I don't have people on to, you know, if I let people talk and yeah, when people yeah. feel, com- you know. Yeah. But that was, you know, that's real shit. I've never, you know, told many people yeah. about that. You no. Know? And, you know, it's just, it was just a, a series of moments like that, that just slowly got more and more closer together over, you know, like you said, 10 years, I was, you know, active, you know, user hard drugs for nine years and, you know, you know, so like there's all those, I, I can glorify like the, the thinking and everything, you know, like in a war story, but there's a lot of, a lot of pain in, in those memes yeah, that, well, that, that, you yeah. know, are, are like ingrained, you know, well, but like now I can. Yeah. And I get that too, because, you know, when you say creativity, um, it's, it's actually funny because, I was creative in addiction. I was doing stand-up comedy in addiction. 
Um, so I was constantly writing jokes, going on stage, doing new material. However, the last two or three weeks before I went into rehab, I was sharing without knowing I was sharing, right? Like I was going up to these open mics and with no material, like I didn't write anything for that night. And I would show up to the open mic and I was basically sharing. There's, I could even find a joke from like five, four years ago where I said, I am JD, I'm an addict. I was sorry, I'm in the wrong room tonight. And then, you know, as like a way to open, like I was opening shows with I'm JD and I'm an addict. And I was sharing about my day because my day was always hell because it was always I'm an addict. But I was doing this as a joke, you know, on stage. But really, I'm like crying out for help. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> right. I mean, that's that's why we make jokes and stuff, because we're, you know, it's 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 our defense mechanism, you know, um, instead of crying i mean we you know yes. we have even an active addiction i mean i was pretty creative sometimes like i would take a bunch of feed and be up for three days with my friend and we would draw pictures of like half naked women and we would compare and we got really good we'd be like you know like we just be yeah. working on art and you know i'd be journaling you yeah. know I, for me i, I just I, I was trying to escape addiction with laughter and the thing is, I didn't know that I, I didn't, you don't know what you don't know, right? So, like, I didn't know that I forgot how to laugh. And I realized that, like, two weeks into being in rehab, and I'm dying laughing at something, and my stomach hurts from laughing. And it's the yeah. first time in, you know, since I was a kid that my, I was laughing with my stomach and not with my head. Meaning, because, like, I can, I can hear a joke and know, yeah, that's funny. And I can, I can force the laugh to prove that I know that's funny. But to laugh like truly with your stomach, that's something you don't feel until you get sober again. And it was one of the best feelings that I got. And that's why I was really kind of chasing that with like memes and stuff like that back then. I was always screenshotting and sharing. I made one. (laughs) I made one meme. Well, you get a, you know, one thing. Yeah, all that. I, I can completely relate. But then also like when you stay clean for a while, you'll see like, wow, I'm a people pleaser. Like I'm sending these memes out to people that like, because I want a reaction. Why do I want this reaction? Like the longer, the longer you stay clean, like the more that's. This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. That's why it's so important to 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 start the journey because it's just going to get worse. You got to see what the hell's going on underneath. So September and- 7th, you said, was your date, right? Now, what was going on for you September 6th, 2015? <laughs> oh, man. 
Sorry, I'm curious, man. No. I need I, there's is an inciting incident, or there's always something where there's like an aha moment, a moment of clarity. There's always oh. something that where your sober date starts isn't isn't usually by accident. Nah, man. It it was just it was just the complete, you know, just such loneliness, anger, resentment, hate. Um you know, just jealousy, envy, just all the bad things that not only 12-step fellowship talk about, but just anything biblical or, you know, like uh, uh, all the religions, you know, you know, just just such hate, man. For Well, first of all, to myself. Um, but yeah, man, I'll, so no, thanks for asking. Like, uh, and, and I want to just say it was the best thing that ever happened to me, you know. And I'm so grateful for it today. Um, I wouldn't be here without all that. So I want to start by saying that, you know, so, um, you know, I, I, I went to rehab in like 2014. I met a girl and, you know, just, I wanted to stay clean just as much as like, I want to be clean today, just the same focus. But like, I, I was codependent completely. You know, I met a girl and, you know, just, it, it shit went south. Uh, she started sleeping with my friends and then my best friend, like my brother. And like, I did not have the tools to be able to take it. Also, you know, I get arrested. Um, I'm waiting to go to court. I'm going to be, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. I was on bond. Like, and the sad part is like, even though I didn't want to use, you know, I was like buying drugs just to like get closure with her. Just complete, like, you know, co- well, I know the words and terms now, um, yeah. but I didn't have the tools to face life, but also I didn't have the tools to make better decisions. So like active addiction summed up as like making horrible decisions and then not knowing how to face the consequences at the same time. And then you just, you, there's a cognitive dissonance with your own psychology where it's like, fuck it. Like this is life. And, 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 and it's just, the world is so small. Yeah. And and we don't see a way out because we're such self-centered, you know, pieces of shit or we we act like it. We're good people deep down, talented people, funny people um, with so much to offer the world, um, you know, but we, we, we make these horrible decisions. I'm talking before we got into drugs, you know, we make these horrible decisions and then we make horrible decisions to cover up those decisions and just shit compounds. And so the only way to psychologically survive it is to, is to adapt a a mindset of it doesn't matter anyway. Does that make sense? At least that was. um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got me here. I could could feel that because that's how I felt too. You know what I mean? Like it's taking me back to that. It's a self-induced Stockholm syndrome, man. Yep. And it literally rewires our brain. That's also the thing too. And, you know, the longer we do it, the more we do it, the more our brain's being rewired. Well, right. We, we know about, you know, how drugs, you know, affect the limbic system and take over, you know, uh, di- uh, inhibit the executive function of the brain. Now and, we do. Now, and well, I didn't know that shit when I was getting high. Well, I did. I, I, you know, I, I didn't. didn't, I, I, didn't I, yeah, like, I, think about it. We had the obsession, man. Like, you know... I personally knew all that, you know, I like I was talking about earlier with the psychic change, man, 
of, you know, like putting on a dopamine hat and, you know, I'm Mr. Recovery now because I don't feel good about myself. I have okay. to wear, wear a shirt. When I was 15 and I got into drugs, you know, uh, in eighth grade, I was reading books like Harry Potter and Holes. The second I smoked some fucking swag, I was, I was, mis- I-, I was reading all the beat writers. It was an instant psychic change. Now, I didn't understand the implications of it. You know, a little political, a little, you know, people adapt the punk rock uh, mentality. Like everything is designed to like capture your, your energy, man. And where are you putting your energy? You know, we're so vulnerable as, uh, you know, inundated with pop culture. And like, you know, I could find defense mechanisms and rationalizations depending on what movie I'm watching of how to live because we don't have that. And I'm saying we, but I'm talking about me. No, I get that. Yeah, I always say we and I mean me too. And and <laughs> and, and what, what I'm saying is, you know, we I had a psychic change when I found drugs. You know, where, you know, ne- next thing you know, they, they get harder and harder. And the, um, be, and then it starts the process of taking over my executive function. But why was I so, why did I have such, such a void even before I discovered these substances that, you know, are, um, you know, the best feelings on the earth, right? Um, well, that's where the work comes in. You know, I didn't know why I drank. I didn't know that I was, I didn't know that I was drinking alcoholically until you know i got sober and i started doing some reflections and i was working a program and i realized okay i had my first drink and drunk at 11 my first friend that died was 12 and then i distinctly remember saying to my best friend when we were 12 hey we can get drunk and we'll feel better that's that's alcoholism you know it was for for me it was like not only it was i was proud of these it was my personality okay so, so like it, i dove in head first yeah you know i mean you know i tried mushrooms at 15 for the first time and then i said i'm gonna grow them like i my mom used to find marijuana plants in the backyard um and you know and and i, w- I would say to her mom you know if 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 i liked wine you'd find grape treats in the backyard right because like you're such a manipulator (laughs) you're manipulating but it got me out it was the obsession right i always had obsessions outside of drugs it just turned into that and because they relieved uh the pain so the obsession and so when i heard you know a word like that in recovery no psychiatrist no psychologist nobody put it to me like that you have obsessions you know and that kind of clicked with me um, but like, it was the obsession. It was my per. it was, it was a complete psychic change in the wrong, well, in the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was my personality it was everything. So you talk to some of these, you know, younger folks, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, other people might want to be like a financial guru on wall street and they, they have this social network where they want to, you know, do other kind of things. But why was I so vulnerable to pop culture and to so for, I, I give the example as the beat writers because like turns out half of them are like chomos and they fuck children you know and wrote about it and they're like these bastion gods of like a certain you know and, and you don't know any of this plus like William S. Burroughs his son was a way better writer than him you know so I can read it clean now and be like whoa 
you know, like why was this, you know, it's like when you smoke weed for the first time, next thing you know, I'm a fucking Bob Marley, you know, I'm a, but, but I'm a Bob Marley. Yeah. Like, See, I never got people. into, I, I wasn't into weed in high school as much. So I was a drinker, man. I, I drank, I was obsessed with drink. You were obsessed with all the other stuff. My obsession was in drinking and partying and being the best drunk. And yeah, I owned it. My nickname was Mess. You know what I mean? Like, right. you don't have a nickname of Mess unless... Yeah, right. So you, you like, succumbed. And to survive that succumb, like, to survive mentally of being such vulnerable with connections and developing uh, uh, social interactions and your brain's developing of how to relate to the world and, and to survive socially, you you allowed not like you didn't understand it but you just became mess right it was just because you know if you didn't accept it and embrace it then what does that mean so that's that's what i mean by like it means i'm not one of them and i wouldn't be able to hang out with my you know and my friends that you know was so important to me you know and exactly it was trying to be part of you know i was trying to fit in and trying to be cool all just trying to be part of man still till still to this day like you know like i wanted to be you know uh part of a certain you know um level of decisions making and 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 stuff in my life now and you know like it's you're seeing the same patterns of uh, what you want what you're obsessed with i'm seeing the same so it recovery has taught me like you know to, to to see the same patterns and and but i feel connected to the world now you know uh, as opposed to being in a little box um yeah. with like a child like and and i certainly there was nothing like when i got clean this last time this there was i never had a craving or a trigger and and i i, I say that and, and i don't know like i don't know why that is i'm i have ptsd from active addiction like and it wasn't as bad as like you could imagine but like it was the worst thing for me when I was sitting in jail for a year and people were talking about, Oh, what they're going to do when they get out. And I literally, my brain would disassociate and I would go the other way. I was scared. I'm still so frightened. You know, when you talk about like, uh, so I never had a craving, but it took me seven years to get one year, you know? So I was in and out, in and out. But um, that makes sense. So, cause so then you did, you went in to jail september 2015 yeah i went so september 7th i i went to the psych ward and from there i had warrants and they transported me uh to to jail and uh, and i was there a long time and it was the greatest thing for like so and also with that stuff with my old friends like um you know that situation if i ever run into them i'm gonna thank them you know, I, I literally, even though for years I was spitting on them and, and had such envy and I, I hoped I'd hear that like horrible stuff would happen. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that anger drove me to be where I am, but it's not going to keep me here. Yeah. You know, so, so, so in recovery, like I've, I've learned how to be grateful and acceptance and then uh, have gratitude for the pain where that that's the that's the measuring stick uh for dealing with life speaking of this, <laughs> yeah that's speaking of this time of year the gratitude i 
I never heard that word outside of Thanksgiving until I got clean. You know what I mean? Like, I don't remember ever hearing the word grateful or gratitude unless it was Thanksgiving. And if you did, and and if you did, you wouldn't feel it. No, it was some bullshit thing of somebody saying, I'm so grateful for this award. Thank you to the Academy. You know, it was, it wasn't anything that I was saying with conviction, you know, I mean, also growing up and going to elementary school, you know, there's these posters of some dude in fucking neo, neo sh- booty shorts climbing up a, a, the side of a mountain. And it's just like dream big. Uh, or, yeah. you know, or, of course, Martin Luther King uh, or, you know, just these posters around of this. And I just didn't I couldn't I was just I couldn't relate. You know, I just uh, anger. <laughs> yeah. You know. But yeah, I know what you mean. So when you walk in and people are like gratitude and grateful and um, it's it's a little it's a little scary. Um, My first tense we had to do ten step in our rehab and our in treatment. And I didn't even know what a ten step meant then. You know, I just got to rehab and I'm not even in a meeting yet, you know, and um, they would call it ten step. I'm like, what the hell is that? And they're like, You have to write a list of all things you're grateful for today. I'm like, What? They're like, Yeah, every day. We do our chores and then we write a list of the things we were grateful for that day. And like every day we had to write a list of things we're grateful for. The hell is this? And then, you know, a weekend, I got so much out of it every single day because I was, the difference is I wanted to be there. So I was, I was taking all the suggestions, right? You know, I didn't need to be there. Nobody was telling me I had to go. So I wanted to be there. So I was taking everything and I was absorbing everything and I was a sponge of, Tell me all your secrets. I want to hear everyone's methods. What are you doing? It's your ninth time here. Why? Why is it your 10th time? What did you keep doing? You know, that kind of thing. And it was paying attention to how people talked about their recovery compared to how I might or other people talk about theirs. And just really sitting there and being a fly on the wall and just paying attention. And I took so much in. And I think that was the best thing I could have done was just shut up and listen. Like I did enough talking. You know, now I talk all the time, but right. then I need to shut the fuck up and listen because I didn't do anything and they might, you know, yeah. so. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly, I can relate. I mean, I, I was just scared. Uh, I was just a scared kid is how I felt. Now, and, did you uh, get into meetings when you were in, in jail? Because they, yeah. they, they bring them in. Yeah, they, they would bring them in. Um you know, and, and the sad thing is I knew a couple people, you know, from being in and out and there's nothing more embarrassing or, or, or going to treatment and seeing people they're like, we're praying for you, bro. I remember, uh, he, there, this guy, Alex, he follows my meme page and we're good friends and he's a local dude. And, and, you know, I remember he came in and, and he saw me, he's like, yeah, man, we're rooting for you. And, uh, yeah. And I just was so ashamed, man. Uh, to be there. And and sometimes like, instead of using dreams, I'll have dreams where like, you know, I'm back in rehab and, you know, I'm seeing people who are in the treatment industry, like Nick, you know, and, and, and you know why? Of, like, I know why. Why? Because I have done this like deep dive on using dreams and, um, it's, it's a but nice it's not thing. a, using no, dream. no, no, but no, that's my point. That's my point. Yeah. So using dreams are most addicts nightmares, right? That's their, that's their subconscious worst nightmare is to relapse. So now for you, you said it yourself five minutes ago, right? You haven't had any kind of triggers in years or any kind of thoughts or cravings. 
So right. your subconscious isn't afraid of that right now. What your subconscious is afraid of is you being inside of your industry that you work as a right. resident. That is right. your that is your right. worst nightmare. Not the over, yeah. not the relapse, not the overdose, not the using, yeah. because that you're so far away from that your subconscious isn't even on its mind. But you work there, so you see it, and you never want to be that new person. So that's why it's your nightmare. I'm, no, that you're no. Thanks for sharing that, man. I, I, I you're you're probably a hundred percent correct. And you know, I wish you know at least in the next one that I have that I'm at, I at least get high first. <laughs> like if that could happen, then, you know, it, it'll be a successful using nightmare. Yeah. Cause that's, that's what, it, that's, you know, that's personally, you know, I've talked to a lot of people about those things because it scared the hell out of me. So I was asking, like I said, I was, I'd ask everybody. But, and even on my episodes, I ask a lot of people about that. And, but also, but also it's like, why does, why is that so important to me? So it's like, oh, it's the ego and it's, you know, uh, being, so it's like, what's the meaning of that, right? Um, and, you know, I had the same suspicion as you did in, in, in your thesis. And it's just like, why do I care? And it's getting better, right? Like, but there's certain things that were really important to me, patterns and defects. Is it, or is it you're living too much in yourself and not like, because usually when your ego creeps up, you're you're living too much for yourself and not others first. You know what I mean? Like, whether it's in the last day or the last week, that's what I've found for myself. You know, whenever I start having those kind of like subconscious thoughts or dreams, whenever they pop up in succession, it's always because I'm always living with with for myself first. Um, and I, I don't expect you to give me an answer because you don't need to. But that's usually for me what happens is for my ego to grow is because I'm only caring about what's about me and not about the whole big picture, not about the whole family or the whole business or whatever. Right. No, it, it could be. I mean, I've never been organized enough to, you know, correlate, for example, like, you know, before I got on medication for antidepressant medication, you know, somebody suggested, you know, you just do a log, what are you eating? You know, kind of things like that. And I've never been organized enough to be like, oh, I had this dream and this happened in my life a few days before. But I believe in stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, like I really, I really love Jung, Carl Jung, um, and a lot of his theories about the subconscious. And um, you know, you might definitely be onto something and continue. To Carl develop. Jung. Carl Jung. You never heard of Carl Jung? I'm going to be looking into him soon. That's for sure. Oh man, that's yeah, he, the whole point of this, man. We we network, we learn something new. I might say something that you're going to get, like we said earlier. That's the whole point of a meeting. You pay attention because there's always going to be something that you can take away, and that you that person can take away too when you're willing. Well, right, and and how you are arrive at the willingness is is it, most of the time it's through pain. Mm -hmm. um, that's certainly the case for me, man. I don't look at anything unless there's a, unless there's pain. I have blinders, you know, and a lot of people are like that too, but it, you know, um, there's certain, in, in making mistakes, you know, you can kind of, you're, you, you have to like, you know, learn like, and making the same things over and over and over, it kind of, it's staring in your face. And then the decision to, to change is you know yours and completely your responsibility and i think that was the coolest thing about recovery 
because like you know it's like my clean time man is the most important thing to me like it's the it's the biggest achievement i've ever had for somebody like me for example so like it's completely up to me nobody's telling me to to do this yeah like i'm off probation yeah you know but like I can't wait to celebrate my first birthday. I mean, I haven't had a drink in 21 months, but I haven't had a first birthday yet because they, I don't want to give up my sober date because of my ego, because my sober date is leap day, 229. So I get a birthday every four years. So I get, you know what I mean? Like a true birthday once every four years now since I quit drinking on leap day of 2020. Um, so yeah, like that kind of stuff you hold on to because that, I think the little things like that, that mean nothing to anybody else and can mean everything to you and make it more personal for you. And especially that blinders thing that you said is so important because if you think about it, you know, you're in the DMV, so you know all about horse racing, right? You know, you guys got some big horse racing down in Baltimore. So <laughs> like, think about those horses and those races, right? They, they wear blinders. And they wear blinders because if they didn't wear the blinders, they would trip over their own feet because they would be watching what everybody else is doing on the sides of them. And that's That's a good good metaphor, man. That's how I feel about this. I can't worry about what that person's doing in their recovery or how they work their recovery. I can get messed up. No, I mean, you're, you're making some very good points. Also horse is, uh, apparently, uh, slang for heroin. So I can, I can relate to that more than the than the fact that horse <laughs> race around me. Um, but yeah, like that was that was a big issue uh, for me. A couple of years in, was looking around. You know, when you get like three years, four years clean, you start looking around and you're like, everybody's full of shit. <laughs> and and like I can say that now because you know I, I joke and say you know I'm I'm an old timer now. You know, because I have over half a decade. <laughs> you know, us addicts like to exaggerate. You know, I know. I mean? You find any uh, way to like over half a decade, you're at six. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm, at a, I'm in my half second half decade. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. especially how I tell people. But but the point being, like, and I ran into that too, man. Looking around and just being like, these people are full of shit. But why did I even come to that conclusion? Why does so so you know, I realized early on that like, you know, like I said, with the psychic change and vulnerability, although my behaviors and personality and everything are pretty the same, like going through life, but like, I'm still looking around at like what other people are doing. Cause I need like a framework. Yeah. And I you don't know? want to inflate your ego or anything, but in my opinion, Nowadays, since everything is, a, you know, not a lot different, but like drugs are different, things are different, technology is different. In my opinion, I would consider you an old timer because I can at least go and talk to you and you understand the drugs that I would be talking to you about more on a different kind of level of like what I was doing or where I was going or why I was going like it's, it's, it's harder for me, like I said earlier about like talking to an old timer about staring at their phone. They don't under, understand what it's like to turn on your, turn off your alarm or turn on your alarms for certain people to call you or like I had certain ringtones for certain dealers. 
This way, you know, they're always ringing through my vibrate and wake me up in the middle of the night if they were good all of a sudden. You know, ridiculous shit. Um, and I always think, like, it's weird to me that somebody who was, like, buying Coke or dope back in the 80s, they were just showing up to a spot. You know what I mean? They couldn't, like, do all of that. They couldn't send the text messages and then sit and wait in a parking lot because they're staring at their phone for six hours looking, no. at, you know... They would probably just show up to the block and probably get stabbed. You know, <laughs> exactly. they, could, they couldn't just send a bunch of texts. They would probably, I mean, I would have. If my plug exactly. told me on the corner and fucking hop on one foot, that was the most important relationship in my life. I yep. still about the plug, like, like that's like uh, Jehovah. I still, I still have a cognitive dissonance about my relationship with the plug. Yeah. Um, so and you, that's, you got close to yours like I did? Yeah, I mean, because it's like that Stockholm phenomenon. You you got to, your brain has to adjust. Or it's like people in abusive relationships. Yeah. Um, you have to embrace it or else, like, you will suffer. So your brain, you know, our brains are designed to, to, to not have trauma, man. Um, for example, if you were to close your eyes right now and, and take a breath and imagine a shot of heroin, you could, your brain would kind of remember if you were to close your eyes and try to recall and physically feel the worst dope sickness of your life, you can't, you know, so our, our brains are kind of designed to, to work against us in that sense. Yeah, no, I, I can, that makes complete sense to me. Yeah. So, so um, we remember only the good. Our brains designed that way. Sex, food, the next one, and, and it's a survival mechanism. Um, and, and of course, the the, it'll, the trauma will rear its head and maybe using dreams or relapse and in treatment dreams or you know. Uh, yep. But and I and it, you brought it up. You you nailed it for me because I talk to people like we don't have Alnon or any Narnon, but we have like you know families for addiction you know that kind of thing meetings at our place and there was a mom here and that relationship thing that you said you know that that's what I used because that mom said I don't understand that my kid can't stop you know getting high he's been shooting heroin for 15 years and I don't understand why he won't stop and I said have you ever had a boyfriend that your parents didn't like have you ever had a boyfriend that you know, to your parents said, we're not going to talk to you if you date that guy. And you would say, no, you don't know what it's like when we're alone. He's so good to me. But, and you always remember the good times from the toxic relationships and you forget the times that he hit you and you forget the times that he told you you were a piece of shit and you forget the times you almost made you die, but you remember all the good stuff. And that's why you stuck around. And then she started crying. And then she was like, for the first time in 15 years, I can, I can synthesize from my sympathize with my son. Cause I do get that. I do understand that feeling. I said, that was yeah. just a toxic relationship for us. And for us, it's hard to find the bad until we can get far enough away. You know, I said, it's like being on the Titanic, you know, when you're on the Titanic, you don't realize how grand it is, especially as, as the shit is going down. They were literally sinking and not even, they were still partying and playing the music, you know, and you don't even realize how big of a catastrophe your addiction, AKA the Titanic was until you get better perception and get further away from it, you know, and the further away, the bigger you see of a mess that what that really happened down there was, you know, and that's how I feel like 
that was. Yeah, I'm loving your metaphors, man. Uh, metaphors are, are, are a great way to uh, give a per- give a the same perspective in a different way, in a different delivery, and 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 I really appreciate your use of metaphors. Um, I I have one. You know, people who are heroin users are now fentanyl users. I mean, I feel like an old timer saying back in my day, we, you know, we shot, um, <laughs> we shot heroin horse. Right. Right. You know, proudly, you know, uh, and I watched Requiem for a Dream and I knew there wasn't fentanyl in those. He lost his arm. I was, I was hairy. <laughs> you know, I yeah. was, my life was like that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, okay. Oh, you're the coolest guy in rehab. Great. You know, but like one of the, one of the metaphors is like, you know, if you've ever, you know, had a lot of abscesses or, or, um, infections, like, you know, that was a big part of my story, um, where, you know, people in active addiction are just an infection, meaning like they're an abscess, meaning like they, they, if you look up how biologically an abscess works in your, your body is it, it just builds and grows and, and maneuvers through the le- path of least resistance, you know, and, and that's what we do. Uh, I, I can certainly be an abscess outside of drugs where I'm just doing what's easy in the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so that made me think of that when you were talking about metaphors, there's so many, I mean, yeah. I mean, and the metaphors, anybody can find a way and twist it and find something, you know, and that's, that, you're supposed to, it's, Right. You need you to just, do that. Yeah. You, did, you, you just did a verbal meme by a metaphor. Yeah. You know, yeah. a meme, meme. So, and I'll, I'll give you another example of like, um, of, well, for example, you know, that psychic change I always talk about in pop culture being like such a synthetic piece of shit, um, like a cancer. Um, well, I'll give you an example, like, you know, being, you know, sometimes I'll go to meetings or somebody will know I make memes and they'll be like, oh, you're the meme guy. And I, I'm like, oh, I, I, I asked for it in the sense that like my behaviors, but I remember being the drug guy in high school or whatever. And when I go to meetings around here, like, you know, everybody knows me from, you know, that yeah. I made me, but they know me before. So it's, it, I don't impress any of them and God yeah. bless them. <laughs> but, you know, I'm like the meme guy. And then it's just like, oh man, I don't want it. So, you know, I, I don't like, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like bittersweet, but the coolest thing is just connecting with so many different people from all over the world. And, you know, people really relate to it and, and it really, it really helps me. And, you know, I'm really proud of, you know, just sharing my story and it's mostly first step, you know, yeah. I don't really, really get into anything too heavy, just the insanity and and hopefully you know people will relate and and feel like um of course they're not alone but like what do you do for, i'm trying to think of like what could i have done to 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 reach the person i was before it even you know and i was so proud of it so like there was i was unreachable i was yeah. unreachable and you're definitely the, reaching people now because you know what's funny is when i went to follow you the other day you know and I saw that two people who had been on my show before actually already follow you and they don't even know each other. They're random, you know? So it's funny that you have these people all over because I totally, 
I can respect that because they have to reach out. I'm sure. I'm sure you get DMs like, you know, keep it up or this helps or I love this or blah, blah, blah. Or the comments like you're yeah, helping I, people. I, I answer each one, man. That's awesome. I, That's- I mean, I, I just remember like you asked what that last week was like. I mean, I just, I was in an absolute psychosis and I remember uh, a friend came over to buy like some clonopin and I was at my dad's house and my parents were battling. Um, they were fighting over like the house and I would sometimes trap out of it. And, you know, but it was kind of like, I could do whatever I want there. Um, so somebody was coming, but there was, there was electricity, but no cable. I had horrible phone reception. Um, <clears throat> and he came over and he, he was like, yeah, so uh, I want three clonopins and there were two milligrams. So I think I, I, he was $15, something like that. And he came in and he sat down and I've known him since I was like 13. Right. And, and he looks at me and he goes, I had $10. Can I, is that cool? Like I could, I only have $10 um, and I'll give you five later. And I just looked at him and I said, you just want clonic. And I just was like in tears and I just pushed like 30 to him. I was like, just talk to me. Just please don't leave. Like seriously. And I started bawling. And I just said, this is like what you want. Um, and, and it was just, I was just so, I was just, I, I had the worst feeling of alone, like ever. And, you know, and of course he was like, yeah, sure. And he just sat with me. And then like 10 minutes later, he kept looking at his watch. Like, you know, I, I gotta go though. And just like, and just like, there's nobody to call, but I had people to call like good people. Right. But, um, just locked in that, that, you know, those people that you could have called were going to tell you things that you weren't ready to hear or you did not yeah. want to hear. Yeah, probably. Or yeah, that's I'd why have... I didn't call them. I know that. That's why I wasn't calling those people. I was calling the people that were going to let me complain about my day. And that was it. Yeah, I sure. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, the, those are the people I was talking to was, was whoever was working. I was functioning. Remember that that was different. I was functioning. I was running a business while I was, you know, doing eight to 10 thirties a day, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that, that was a difference. I had to be on my phone to talk to like my people. I ran a plumbing business that guys were calling me. I was talking to customers all day, dealing with like other kind of shit all day. So I was constantly on the phone doing that. But inside I was, I was like that house that had nothing inside because it's been stripped. You know what I mean? The last thing I want to ask you is, you know, how do you or what do you say to that person who's maybe new in recovery getting through the holidays this time of year? Because, like, a lot of people are new for recovery this time of year. They didn't see their family last year because COVID or whatever. And now they're going to be around a lot of family this year. You know, what would you say to that person about to go to a family dinner or for Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's? Uh this is up to you. No one's going to give a shit. You know, people might be disappointed if you use some might be like, you know, like you might have your uncle who's just like, you know, you can just drink. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, people don't understand you and it's not their responsibility to, um, you have to act out a new way of thinking of, of, you have to behave a new way of thinking, you know? Um, And so what I would say is treat it like an experiment. Drugs and alcohol are not going anywhere. 
If anything, they're becoming cheaper, more readily available, more socially acceptable. But, you know, for me as a sentient human being, um, I outlawed drugs for myself, you know, um, never say never, but, you know, I just, I just treated this as an experiment psychologically and just, then I got better and better, better evidence of like this working for me. So when I would go into those early family situations, I mean, I remember I was on work release and uh, went to my, you know, I'm Russian. We have Russian Orthodox uh, Christmas um, and, you know, all my Russian side of the family is, you know, like they party, but they're very good, responsible, just normal people. And, you know, and, and then the, the next one was easier and it got easier and it's just like practice. It's like, um, it's like a working a muscle, you know, like saying no, having boundaries and like, we don't, you just say no, not knowing why or whatever, but just for like living today and, you know, hold on to whatever beliefs that got you there. And, you know, I'm the type, I, I don't, I don't go under peer pressure anymore. Like when I made that decision in jail, nobody could phase me. It was, I felt more self-esteem not using because I was the, the using guy. So I got a little like validation from not, not doing what I did as opposed to, just, uh, you know, so, you know, it was simple for me. Yeah. And I, I'd like to say like, like when I said that the, I've never had cravings, I remember one time, um, you know, I, I make memes, you know, and I, I Photoshop, um, you know, I'm searching for things on Google images all the time, you know, and I remember, uh, I remember I was making a meme about Kratom or however the, f- I've never Kratom. tried Kratom. I've never done that in my life. Probably will never I, do it. I, I've never done it and will never need to or yeah. want to. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to fucking do heroin. Thanks. You know, but, um, but I remember I was looking, I was, you know, doing a meme about Kratom. So I have to search for it. And I'm like, I'm like, Ooh, red Bali Meng Da. I'm like, this, this shit looks kind of cool, you know? And then I'm like that, you know, I'm a fucking addict, you know? And then, <laughs> yeah, like, that's what they wanted you to say. Like you yeah. fell right into their thing of like, Oh, we're going to yeah. make them like, look how cool we are. Years, years clean with some shitty fucking, God knows how it's processed, you know, Fucking like sold out of a gas station. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> that's how you know it's, it's legitimate. <laughs> and it's like uh, That shit looks pretty cool. You know? Yeah. And then I remember no one's going to give a shit if I tried Kratom. No, no, I, w- I won't touch that. And, and so funny because in PA, there's the gas station. They're filled with CBD now, like flour and CBD. And it's like, why, I would never, because you know what I mean? I don't know what they're putting in that because right now there's literally no regulations in the country for CBD or Delta eight. Delta eight is legal in the entire country and sold out of all these gas stations. They can be putting whatever they want in there because nobody is testing it. The FDA is not testing it. FDA is saying that's agriculture. Agriculture is like, no, that's the FDA. And there's no like board that's overseeing anything until it's legalized. So everyone's pointing fingers and no one's actually doing the work. But that's, that's a good metaphor though, for, or you have to maybe find a metaphor into that of like, it's totally up to us. Once again, just because something's socially acceptable or legal, or there's, did we, did be, did a drugs uh, schedule class ever stop us? You know, whether it's, you know, it might've enticed me. 
what's a screen? You know what I mean? It might be like, well, oh, that's a step up. <laughs> oh, well, like, yeah, when we're in fifth grade and then the dare, Scruff McGruff comes and. How old are you? The, I'm uh, 33. Okay, so yeah, I'm 35. So, okay, we, you would have to be in your 30s to understand the whole dare yeah, yeah. and Scruff so, walking so, in. So for, yeah, for listeners, you, you want to know what I'm talking about, I'll describe it. So, Scruff McGruff, it was a guy in a suit. Maybe you would identify it nowadays for millennials as a furry. Yeah, so Scruff McGruff came in you know, to my class. And he was like, Hey kids, you know, don't try this. And he had this suitcase and then he opened up and it was all the drugs. And he was like, don't do this one. Definitely don't do this one. Wink, you know? And I'm just like, like, I don't even know. I I just want to play soccer. You know, I, I don't even, you know, I don't yeah. even know what the fuck. You don't want to do heroin because it's going to make people feel, you know what I mean? It's like, are you a commercial? <laughs> I don't have any thing to, you know, I grew up in none of my, nobody in my family's an addict. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like, I'm just like, okay, but yeah, Scruff McGruff. But later on, you know, I don't know if they were trying to like get the new generation hooked, but that dog gave us the wink and said, definitely don't try this. One. That dog gave wink. Wink. You know what I mean? Maybe in your head that he winked. <laughs> a lot of things we tell ourselves, like, like, hey, he gave me the wink. I'm gonna go drink now. He gave me the wink. We can go drink. <laughs> yeah, I subconsciously uh, saved that in my head. Do you have uh, a Scruff but... McGuff meme somewhere floating around? Yeah, I'm okay. sure. Had I made a Smokey the Bear? Okay. So it was like, guys meant, and it was like, only you can prevent overdoses, and it was it was him uh, applying Narcan you know uh instead of a campfire like two campers in the wood <laughs> probably made a suicide pact that's fucking uh, amazing <laughs> yeah it, it didn't do too well but like it doesn't matter i liked it <laughs> yeah it, it doesn't matter it, it it was it was like fun for me to to make you know that's the um, point people don't understand is i if some of these flops that i have you know what i mean I have so much fun making them and editing them and finding the right song to put with the story that I'm, you know, whenever I'm putting out a promo or something like, but I set you with um, him telling that story about getting that DUI, right? I needed the song. And then my process like, all right, what song goes with drinking? All right, say it ain't so be perfect. And then I'm playing it. I'm like, oh, what, what would be perfect is that if I, if it says, say it ain't so right after he says he hit a cop. This way it kind of rings in with the song and like I I don't care who listens to it. I did that. I created that part. I put them together. I know that and I love that. Whether it gets a right. million views or twenty or a hundred, I still love going back and watching some of that shit and hearing the music hit perfect. I'm like, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. it's for me as much as for anybody else. Yeah, it's it's um yeah, it's 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 doing something outside yourself that's creative, man. And and you know, as a lot of addicts are creative people, you know, they um, always make memes about the guy who has the fucking guitar, you know, in, in, at the party. He, he has a fucking guitar and he's like, hey, uh, I'm going to play Santeria, you know, oh my God. I always think or, or Animal least, House. Animal House when John Belushi grabs the guitar. Right. And he grabs the guitar, the guy, he starts smashing it against the wall yeah, and shit until it's in pieces. Yeah, that guy was so fucking annoying. But he he, he was, he could play, you know, there's, mm-hmm. you know, talent. Yep. 
So, but yeah, I know, I know what you're talking People have been, you know, that whole guitar thing, that guy with the guitar has been roaming the colleges and roaming the street for 50 years, 60 no, years. No, from 18 to 26, because then he's off his parents' insur- insurance. <laughs> and, and state-run treatment centers don't allow people to just bring a guitar in because they don't give a fuck. Nope. No, <laughs> they do not. Nope. Mine was, we didn't have a, I wasn't in a state-run one because they were cool. The guitars were in there surfboards were in Mayan, like we had a garage filled with a bunch of random shit and there was a shitload of surfboards that were left there from people before there was guitars there was bags of clothes it was wild how much leftover shit was in that old rehab so i mean the rehab's been it was only like been there two years when i got there so you know la they haven't been houses the rehab you go to is a house it blends in with the neighborhood you don't even know you know you're in a rehab the one i went to like it oh, was you in- know, oh, you know you're in a rehab. Your, no. insurance, your insurance thinks you're in residential by the amount they bill per day. Yep, and and they actually, and they definitely were pulling a fast one on my insurance because my sober living wasn't covered through my insurance because it was cannabis. Insurance well, cannabis was included. So they would charge my IOP extra for me to have the discount because they were charging me through IOP. That's how they were able to like do it with insurance was through IOP. And then I had to pay rent for the house. Yeah. I had to pay rent for the house cash. That's right. what it was. Sober living was cash. And then my IOP was through insurance. It's been years but now. Go, but you had to go to the IOP to, to live in the house. Yes. Of course. Four days a week. Yeah. And LA traffic, it took an hour to get there, hour to get home the fucking worst so yeah it was we were in westwood right by ucla so and we lived on the west side by like santa monica and it'd be like an hour and rush hour to get there and back so that was fun for about four months but luckily you know i was i was done and home by my four month chip so i got there april 25th i was home i think mid-august i think there was like a death over here and then my dad needed me back for the business and all that kind of stuff so I came back and um yeah been going good since then you know I had a little slip of drinking for a little bit you know and where I I wasn't sure I was an alcoholic right because I went to rehab for pills I, I wasn't going to rehab for AA you know I was going to rehab for pills right and then I got tricked into AA in a good way I'm not complaining about it but the only time we left our house was to go to an outside meeting they would shove us in the druggy buggy, the dope, dope fiend limousine, whatever you want to call it. They'd shove us in there and take us to a meeting. So you get excited about leaving and going to a meeting now because you're out of the house. And then if you're me, I'm paying attention and I heard a message and I heard myself up there and I said, okay, maybe I am an alcoholic. And then eventually when I stopped going to meetings, the whole deal, dude, you stop going to meetings, you stop talking to your sponsor, that whole thing. And eventually you're like, maybe I'm not an alcoholic and you drink. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then I was controlling my drinking for nine months, never over drank at all or anything like that. And then I woke up hungover on leap day and mm-hmm. I realized I drank a bottle of Jack and I said, well, I wasn't supposed to do that. So either I drink more, I get high or I never drink again. I had the coolest sober date ever. And here we are. So, you know, it happens how it happens. We figure it out how we figure it out, man. The important thing is you and I had a great conversation today 
I appreciate you hopping on, dude, and you know, being, you know, talking and opening up and talking about everything we did, man. It's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and uh, just I I hope that more people, you know, find their own pathway and and heal and make better decisions, and then you know the evidence of that is, uh, you know, doing really cool stuff that we never thought we would do. Yeah, I never yeah, thought I'd so, be doing this, man. You know, I never thought I'd be talking to people. I talked to all people in Australia. I have a girl from Scotland next week. You know, I know I didn't know I was gonna be doing this, but I love yeah. it. I'm embracing it. Dude, I was in England for three weeks and on my on my six year clean. And I went to a meeting with Brutal Recovery, you know. Yeah. Uh, page and, and I met her at a meeting and she took me out, you know. Like I, I've made friends, you know, all over the world. You know, That's it's amazing. Cool. Yeah, that's so the pro- <laughs> living in promises, out. man. Yeah, sh- shout out to Straight Pepper Diet, my homie Brian. I love him. Uh, that's my ride or die, day one. And, you know, shout out to all the uh, other people making content, Brutal Recovery. Suggest you follow her. And, yeah, man, just stay tuned. You know, Yeah, keep and up. the people that don't know you already and that aren't already following you, if you go in the description of the episode right here, I'll have the link to your social. This way you can go and check out his content too. So thanks again, yeah. man, for, you know, hopping on with me and talking and all that. And uh, yeah, we'll talk again soon. Anytime, man. All right, Thank I'll see you. you later.